0: What's up, ladies and gentlemen? I hope you're well. It's good to be back here at Mountaineer Studios. Welcome to the new listeners. Please get comfortable, and why not hit subscribe while you're at it? And also a big shout-out to all the long-time listeners out there. We appreciate you, like always. And if you haven't already, please follow us on social media. The handle is kickback_nadem and we are on Instagram and, bizarrely, on Twitter. Listen, I love interacting with all of you, so why not humor me and keep it going? And now, anyway... It's time for today's guest. He's been one of the biggest names in English Super League over the past decade. He's a three-time grand final winner and in 2013 was responsible for the largest transfer fee in rugby league history when he moved to New Zealand Warriors in the NRL. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoy my conversation with the English rugby league legend that is Sam Tompkins. All right, mate. Hello, how are you? I'm good, Paul, are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Good. So first things first, yeah. So you're currently living in Catalonia, yeah. What's it like as a Brit abroad?
1: Um, it's interesting when you first come. Uh the language barriers obviously been a little bit of an obstacle since moving. Um mm-hmm. at the at the start it's it's pretty daunting because you know, I live in a little a little village outside of Perpignan and it's quite a an elderly village, shall I say. You know, there's not a yeah. lot of about and um, it seems that the the older the older residents around here don't take well to you speaking very poor French. So I um, <laughs> had, had a few funny looks on a first move, but um, it's it's really enjoyable, really good place to live. Um, mm-hmm. Me and me and my wife love it. They, you know, my kids my kids are really happy. So I can see us staying for a long time. But yeah, the, the first six months was was tough. But now we now are settled. It's it's pretty good.
0: So you speak a bit of French
1: now, yeah. Well, I think I can. But if you are, <laughs> just for it might say different.
0: All right. So this might sound like a really, really silly question, but seeing as though you are playing rugby there, like, are there any similarities at all between there and living up north in England?
1: Absolutely none whatsoever.
0: So that's what you like. <laughs> the fact is completely different.
1: Yeah. Well, I think twenty whatever twenty six years in England was probably enough. Um, yeah. It's it's completely different, but. The good thing is, within five miles, there's probably about five Wiganers. Really, so we've got at the club. We've got uh, my brother Joel, who's mm-hmm. from Wigan. Mickey McLaurin. I played with him <laughs> for ten years. Um, Tom Davis from Wigan. Louis Tini, and um, we've even got Sean Edwards, who's you know he's in his fifties. He's a he's a Wigan rugby league legend who he actually coaches the French rugby union side. Uh, okay. He was living in London. He was a Wales coach for a long time. Living in London, and he got the job to to be defense coach for Paris, uh, uh, based in Paris, is the the French national union team. And one of the stipulations of his contract was he had to live in France. Um, and when he found out there was a lot of guys that used to live in Wigan, in the mm. 70s, he moved down here. And he actually lives further away from his office now, in London. <laughs> else in France if you can live down here with a load of a load of lads from up north
0: oh that's nuts so one thing anyway seeing as though you've got just a t-shirt on you don't have an umbrella and a rain jacket it seems like the weather's a bit different then
1: yeah it is it's um <laughs> that's another thing that my ginger skin took a bit of a <laughs> uh, it's it's crazy you know because you, you're pretty much guaranteed summer is hot every single day in the 30s yeah. Uh, so yeah that is something I wasn't used to um uh, but mm-hmm enjoyed. Like when I lived in New Zealand for a couple of years playing there and I thought that was brilliant but you know you still got the rain there where you don't even get that it's just.
0: Yeah it's, it must be nice. What, was, what's, what would you say the hardest thing was about adjusting in the early days?
1: Um, I think it, it's probably the the connections amongst the players in the team Yeah. Uh, you know you know how it is when you're in a team communication is a huge huge part of it Um but a lot gets lost in translation, sort of in the in the heat of a game or like in intense training session. If you sat around having a coffee, you know you can all sort of understand each other. And a lot of the a lot of the guys here speak pretty good English, so that's helpful for us. And we all speak a bit of French. But in the heat of a game, you know, if you're trying to shout to somebody twenty meters away, um, a lot can get lost in translation. So that was probably the most difficult thing, um, yeah. adjusting wise.
0: Right. So. I want to talk about your journey to this point, yeah? And considering you were such like a huge prospect at the start of your career, it was fair to say I was kind of stunned when Neil, you know our friend Neil, yeah? Big Ed Neil, blockhead Neil. I was <laughs> kind of stunned to hear that you actually got released from the academy at 17. Like, how? what changed about you to make you go from being not wanted to being like a main man?
1: Well, it was sort of growing up in, in my teens, um, I was just always okay. Wasn't great, wasn't very good, but I was, I was all right um mm-hmm. obviously through your teens young lads develop at different different stages and I was one of the guys that I was puberty seemed like a lifetime of <laughs> was about to. <laughs> I love so, the honesty what's what's happening here everyone's walking <laughs> yes, I'm like <laughs> very chest I am right now oh, <laughs> um, brilliant! so I think that had a part to play and I got I got through to the academy at Wigan and um they basically they said it was maybe f- about ten players. They were paying them. It was you, know, you get a few thousand quid to play and you get to go to college, and um, then just train in the evening. And then they had a group of us who they basically said, "Oh, you can come and play. You get twenty five pound a week. That's if you get picked and the team wins." Okay. And if you're one of them players and you're getting picked, the chance of the team winning that very high, so the chance of you twenty five quid's pretty low. Uh, yeah, yeah. And- I, I did that for twelve months and just just sort of tried my best to get in the team. And, and the coach was Sean Wayne, who ended up being my first team yeah. coach for a long, long time. You know, the England England coach, um, and he just wouldn't give me wouldn't give me a light up. He just said you, you're way off. And I'd go in his office every week and say like, look, I wanna I wanna play. Why am I not getting picked? And he'd give me a list about my arm of <laughs> what I, I was getting picked and it wasn't it, it wasn't through lack of effort it was purely because I, I just wasn't physically developed enough right so at the end of that end of my first academy season so I'd have been straight up i had been 17 um, at the end of the season I was you know really hoping that I'd, I'd get a contract for the next year and I went in the office I'm thinking look I'll settle for five grand I'm not bothered so I walked yeah. in like nah we don't want you wow so, okay so they said you can you can um, you can leave so uh, I just said right so I went back to my amateur club uh, Wigan St Pat's and I just for the off season of, of the academy I just said I'm just going to go and play there um, and they just they said if you want to come back next year you can play but it's you know you're playing for free you know we're not getting any money for you but you can join the academy again just as a as a sort of a hopeful so mm-hmm. I went back and played a few games at my amateur club back with my mates and and um, during that time, there was a, f- a few clubs offered me a offered me a contract, uh, but they were Widness and Salford, and these were teams. that, You know, I'd I'd grown up in Wigan. I'd been, you know, I'd been in the academy. I was uh, been in the scholarship scheme, and all I wanted to do was play for Wigan. My brother was playing for the first team at the time. Yeah. Uh, that was all I wanted. And but, you know, I was getting offered nothing. But these other clubs were saying, you know, come to us. We'll give you a bit of money. And um, and I was thinking, you know, Wigan don't want me. I'm just going to go somewhere else. And my um my parents just said, Look, you know, do you really want to go and play at Witness? And this is no disrespectful to Witness, but I was brought up in Wigan. Do you want to go and play at Widness? And I was like, Well, not really, but you know, I can have a bit of money and I can get a car. And my mum and dad didn't have money, but they said, Look, we'll find you a car. But if you mm-hmm. play for Wigan, just go back. Just go and play for free and just try and earn yourself a spot. Um so I thought, you know what, I'm gonna have I went back for free. Everyone's laughing. Like, why are you coming back again? Like, you just you just you just love the punishment or what? Yeah. Um, and I went back, and it just happened that I started playing a bit, and we ended up. You know, I was in and out of the team, not playing very much, and we got to a, um, a semi final um, for the for the academy uh, semi final for the academy championship, and I hadn't been picked. Obviously, it was a big game, a semi final, so I was on the bench carrying water, and as the final hooter blew. A mass brawl kicked off. 13. Right. So I'm on the sidelines. I'm like, lads, get involved. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm going to have to play next week in a final. Yeah. So the <laughs> fight kicked off. We got eight players banned. So the next wow. week we have a, a a final, an academy final at Leeds at Headingley in Lane front of ten thousand people, and he had to pick me I was like yeah,
0: that's brilliant
1: oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is,
0: I've heard of people fighting their way into a team but I've never seen someone avoid a fight to get into yeah, it that's yeah. impressive
1: original fight to get into
0: yeah league. literally I love uh, that
1: I got in played pretty well in the final um and they decided to give me a give me a con- an academy contract after that
0: yeah so I want to do a comparison if possible because you're talking about all these academy times, you're talking about 5,000. And just for reference, when you said 5,000, you meant for the whole season, yeah?
1: Yeah, I mean, for the whole season. And that's, that's the top earner for an academy player, 5,000.
0: <laughs> okay. The, that seems kind of illegal, but whatever. We'll, we'll move on. We won't talk about that too much. But um, I want to see what it was like being in an academy back then and sort of compare it to my academy times. Because is it true for your academy, you had to, uh, you have to work a job as well?
1: Yeah, so you had to either be working or at college. Um and there's there's no way around that. If you're not doing one or the other, you're not allowed to play. So they, they don't have really? that. and that isn't that isn't a rule across. That's not like a rugby league rule. It's that was the Wigan way of doing it. Um, okay. you know you get some kids who leave school and and you know like we just spoke about the money that you're earning is tiny. But kids at sixteen get told in Wigan, Well, oh, you're the best player. You know, the mum and dad yeah. is you're going to be the next Andrew Farrell, you know. That's going to be mm-hmm. you. So kids, all of a sudden, they walk out of high school with no qualifications and go, "I'm just going to go and train." And the training, three hours a night for the academy, thinking, you know, they're going to they're going to earn millions in the in the yeah. tap. But it's and so Wigan don't accept that. You know, you're either in employment or you're in or you're in college.
0: Yeah. And what did you do? Did you go to college or did you work?
1: Um no, I went to work um I was an apprentice greenkeeper on oh, a okay. um, golf
0: course. okay which uh, golf
1: course Ashton, Ashley makefield
0: okay um okay.
1: the reason the reason being is uh you know during school you have um the you know work experience where you go and work for two weeks
0: mm-hmm.
1: um I did that when I was in year ten and uh and I just wanted a job that someone had give me a bit of money for, and my uncle knew someone on a golf course and said go and cut grass for two weeks and I'll give you a few quid so yeah. I, said, I might as well do that so I went um, and I just really enjoyed it like being a greenkeeper it was something <laughs> I just I was just going because I thought it would be easy I went and I went and I loved it so um, when well, I left you- I just said look I'm I'm going to be playing for the academy but can I you know can I come and, and, and have an apprenticeship he said yeah so I went and did that for um, did that for about just over 12 months before oh, I love
0: that I love that in my in my academy system it felt like some of us went to college college whereas others were doing like a b-tech and nothing in particular so it felt yeah. like from when you went in full time all the attention was like you're just going to try and make it in football that's it there's no hope for anything else even though like the chances of you actually making it through as a pro aren't, aren't very high at all the way no. that you sort of treat it is almost like it's an expectation so yeah, i don't yeah. know if that stuff was really helping a lot of players, to be honest. But do you think it helped? Do you think that um, the apprenticeship side really helped you guys or not?
1: Yeah, well, it sort of gave everybody a bit of um, a bit, a bit of responsibility because it'd be easy to go to to not go to college, not do anything, you know, just play a bit of rugby, get a little bit of money, and sort of get by. Um, but you know, when you've got responsibility, if, if kids didn't go to college, you know. The Wigan Academy coach would be on the phone to the college as he being been in school, and yep. if he won't be sanctions for it in your rugby, so you you almost had then a responsibility to be, you know, sort of on, on guard is probably the wrong term, but sort of have your head switched on throughout yeah. the week. You can't just, you know, turn it on for a couple of hours in an evening to train and then play at a weekend. Um, yep. but but there was still a lot of players went and did, you know, courses in. Nicky my subjects just because yeah. it was a way um, my brother actually, my older brother Joel, he's two years above me. Um, when he was in the academy at Wigan, he, he 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 was at college, did two years, and um, while he was at college he broke into the first team and all of a sudden this you know, this moral high ground, in the club take where people have having work and, and yeah. school, suddenly if you get in the first team at such a young age, he was in the first team at seventeen. He gets called into the office, and they're like, "Look, we're training tomorrow. If you want to go to college, you can." Oh, <laughs> and so all of a sudden, he was like, "You know what? I don't actually need college." He never actually picked his results up from college. He just, really? Because they were that they were going to be that poor. His attendance cuz to... <laughs> <laughs> the last six months, he never went. He was. Oh, he I, love I love that. He had one of an exam for one of his subjects he'd been doing for two years, and it was a preseason training camp in Florida. And the head coach said, look, I know you're 17, but we want you on it. But he had an exam that week. So he said, go home and speak to your parents. So he went back. sat down from my parents, my mum was like, look, you've been to college for two years. And my dad was like, can I interrupt? You go into Florida. <laughs> so, uh, and he, he went and, you know, it worked out well for him. But, you know, not everybody's that lucky. Some kids get in, get a couple of games and then, um, you know, they've, they've got nothing to fall back on if they haven't done the right thing.
0: Yeah. So um, you make it into the first team then you're still relatively young. What would you say the the biggest differences were in terms of stepping up from being in an academy situation to being in like a first team one?
1: Um it's just the the, the physicality of, of training every day and, and playing against against men. Because mm. you know, when you're you're eighteen and you're playing against a big eighteen year old, yeah, the big and the strong. But when you're mm. playing a big thirty two year old, it's a different ball game. Uh, mm. Obviously, smaller guys are getting spotted up by bigger guys. And <laughs> yeah. You suddenly learn that academy was pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I, bet. I had a false, a false um, introduction to first team because my, my debut was in the Challenge Cup. So, um, for anyone doesn't know, the Challenge Cup is it's a knockout competition, but it's through every league, of rugby league. And so from mm-hmm. every division, all get put in one hat. So we drew, Wigan drew against Whitehaven that were at the bottom of the league below Super League. So that's why I got my debut. We won 108 points to 10.
0: (laughs) Okay, close one then.
1: That was my introduction to first team. So my mates were like, "How good's this? You've got in the first team. Yeah, I can't believe it. (laughs)
0: That's brilliant. Was that the game where you scored five?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Easy as that, huh? Easy as that.
1: Quickly realised it wasn't quite that easy when you played against Super League teams.
0: Did you um did you ever ever have any self doubt at the beginning, or did you always believe that you you were supposed to be there?
1: Uh, no, I had massive self doubt, probably from um, you know years of in the academy not being quite good enough. Um, and so sort of when I got when I got thrown into the, the first team at Wigan, it was I, I always I always felt I always sort of feared that it was going to end at any point. Right. Uh, which, looking back now, is probably a bit of an irrational fear. But I was thinking, like I'd play, and I was playing well. You know, as soon as I got in the team, I just we had a really good team at the time. A lot of good players, a lot of young players that I already knew and, and played pretty well with. So I I sort of I was thinking, yeah, but after this season, like something happens, they'll they'll sign They'll sign a big overseas name, and I mm-hmm. and had, had that self doubt for quite a while, um, really. And I think some of that was it was. That that sort of fear of things finishing, and because a lot, I, you know, I've got lots and lots of friends, and and Neil votes for this that you know we came to the academy with. They played five Super League games or ten maybe, and then yeah. when that happens, they get a knock and they just get sort of pushed back down the ladder because there's a lot of young kids who are really good players who want to push for that spot. So I think my fear of that happening probably pushed me on and and sort of have made me made me a little bit more hungry once I was in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I respect that. like it a lot. But to be fair, around this sort of time was when I started watching more rugby league and Wigan was my team. And it's fair to say, like, it felt like your reputation was growing massively within the sport to the point where you almost like started to become a bit of a pin-up boy for the sport itself, especially in England. Like, how did you actually cope with having those type of expectations on your shoulders considering the history that you had to get to that point?
1: Um, yeah, it was strange. It, um, I think... It, Timing-wise, for me, it was just Wigan came into a, a really good patch. So I set, made my Super League debut in 2009. In 2010, we won the Grand Final. It was the first trophy the club had won for 15 years. Yeah. So that, but and you know, this wasn't down to obviously me playing, but it was down to a lot of players all sort of synchronising at the right time. And I was I was just lucky to sort of in that being that group and the youngest player, and I was playing like a, a pivotal position. So yeah, I got sort of. Thrust straight away into the into the limelight, and it happened when I'd I'd only played about eight Super League games. The the England coach at the time, Tony Smith, um, he took me on an international trip to France to play against France. I'd only played eight eight first team games, and I was yeah. rubbing shoulders with people, Adrian Morley, Jamie mm-hmm. James Graham, all these players I've looked up to for years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I didn't play. He took me as 18th man, you know, the, the last reserve, and he just said, oh, I just want you to come because." I want you to experience it. I think you're going to play international in the future. So I was really humbled by it. And I was like, you oh, know, that's amazing. But from that, then people were like, he's in the international team after, you know, eight, eight Super League games. And, and then that sort of boosted my profile. And then all of a sudden, yeah, it went a little bit, a little bit, um, you know, pushed on from there. And it was, it was strange. And because I was still knocking about my mates that were, that were still playing amateur. So I go down to my amateur club, sent Pat's, and then, I've been watching my mates, and the people coming over asking me for autographs. and can I have a picture of my baby. Can you have a, Can you speak to my granddad on the phone? And just say the here? Yeah. Like yeah. Man, Like this is weird. I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> what's that? Like, it was just, it just happened really, really quickly for me. And um, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of uncomfortable situations for me, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Times where I was in situations thinking, I'm, this is, I you know, I'm out of my depth. Or i have been meeting people, and um, I was with an agency in in London called James Grant. And they were, you know, getting me sponsorship deals and and things. And I was, you know, I was in London going meeting different people. I come and you know, Omega want you to come to a a launch of a new watch. And I'm yeah. like, I better hide this Casio then. And like, <laughs> I, I, you know, and there was a lot. Of, there was a lot of uncomfortable situations from it. I think because it happened when I was quite young. I think it it made me then. As I got a bit older, I could handle things a little bit better, and things such as uh, you know working in the media—that's something that I've, I really want to do when I finish playing, uh, which mm. I bit of now for, with Sky Sports. But you know, Sky Sports gave me a, my own section on one of the shows when I was pretty young, and you know, just having to do that, which was really uncomfortable. It meant that by the time I was sort of 22, 23, I'd had the experience that people were only getting at the back end of the careers. Which yeah. It gave me confidence to know that I could I could be in those situations and hold my own all the time.
0: Do you know what's really interesting is you mentioned James Grant, and I was with James Grant for, uh, for a long time. But interestingly, I guess I must have been in a different part of the building because they never told me about this Omega deal and all that stuff. Oh, is that only for people? Is that people it, for the at the top yeah, or what?
1: Make sure if you speak to me, don't mention me. <laughs> <laughs> a,
0: we're in two different worlds completely but around so shortly after you played then uh, you started playing so this is 2009 2011 comes and then i'm seeing you playing for the barbarians like obviously i know that you've probably been asked this question so many times but like how did that actually come about to play for a team in a different code that's such a special team
1: it was it was completely out of the blue um the end of 2011 i was playing for england and we um, we played australia in New Zealand and we had a we had a four nations final against Australia, um at Leeds, at uh, Ellen Road. And um after the game my, my agent called me and we were all it was our last you know, it was the final and so after the game we're all like, having a few beers. I'm in a pub and my agent keeps calling me. I was like, I thought he'd just be saying, you know, like well done on the season, you know, yeah. a bit of a conversation So I brushed his call and then he, <laughs> The ring is pretty urgent. So I was like yeah. Can't be good. I thought, <laughs> I've done something wrong here. He's saying it's urgent. Mm. Uh, I called him and he said, it's a bit weird, but the Barbarians have been in touch. They want you to play next week. i like, what do you mean? He says, oh, Barbarians want you to play next week. They are playing Australia next Saturday. So I'd play Australia Rugby League on the Saturday and yeah. the first Saturday was Australian Rugby Union. The Wallabies are playing against um, the Barbarians. They want you to play. So I was like, right so what happened? he said if you want to do it a car will come and pick you up in the morning from your hotel in leeds and drive you down um to london You we stay on parkway way. i said so i was like i'd had a few beers i was like yeah do it tell them <laughs> <laughs> i woke up in the morning a little bit hungover, over and this car's waiting for me this car picked me up drove me down to london just went to this hotel i was like i walked in and at this point i hadn't watched any rugby union like growing right. Wigan, there's no rugby union around yeah. that. There's sales, yeah. stats, but they're not very big. And um, you know where I'm from, and I've watched bits of it, and you know I followed a couple of players with we like, um, ex-rugby league players that were playing union. I just checked what they were doing, Chris Ashton, people like that. I didn't didn't watch it, and um, so I turned up. I got I went to this hotel, and they were like, "Oh, the here's your room key. Um, there's a meeting for you in such a suite at five o'clock." This was about three o'clock, so I got. Had about two hours, so I just like walking around the hotel, having a look, and these rugby union guys were walking past. You could tell the rugby union guys; they were 150 kilos, about six foot. <laughs> they were walking past, and I was just like, oh, yeah. "I was thinking, I didn't know who they were, but I knew they must be players." I thought, "I'm going to be playing with you this week." I don't, and they didn't know we <laughs> It was yeah. like so strange, and um, went into a room, met all the players, and. And um, it was so funny because there was like there's players from all over the world, New Zealand, South Africa, Argentina, everyone. I didn't there was, a, there was probably three of them that I knew just because yeah. there were people like were Danny Cipriani, uh, yeah. Springer, the Irish, the Irish uh, scrum half. So there were a few that I knew, but that was all. Um, and I got chatting to them all. We have with the Barbarians, you, you basically go for a beer every night and sleep. Mm-hmm. It's very, very casual. If you train in the morning, but then it's like, fancy a beer, yeah, everyone did that. It's strange, but they were like, that's what the Barbarians is. Obviously, I knew nothing of it. And um, my first training session, I turned up and the Graham Henry, the All Blacks coach, he just won the World Cup with the All Blacks. He was the coach. He said, I'll free the team out. Right, Sam Tonkin's your fullback. I said, right, thanks. That was it. We ran out for a team run, but I'd never played the sport. So I would just think, look, stupidly thinking I'll just blag this I'll be right so I, I was and I was clearly out of position well clearly to rugby union people not to myself so I was yeah. like I was too low I was too high in the line then I was too deep and Danny Cipriani was like oh Sam just come up with it and i like, and I'd gone from you know I know my trade inside out with the league so all of a sudden I didn't know where to stand and Graham Henry the coach called me over he was like oh what, what's up you're, you're well out of position I was like oh I'm not too not too familiar with it. He's like, Oh yeah. How long has it been since you played Union? I was like, What do you mean? He said, I know you you're playing at Wigan now. He said, When when did you last play union? I was like, Never. He goes He goes, What about in school? Like everyone goes at you in school. I was like, Yeah, they don't have a union in my school in Wigan mate. He was like, You've never played, I've never played a union. I said, I've only ever watched one game. He said He said, So what the f- are you doing here? I said, I don't know. I said, <laughs> And I just turned up. He's like, all right. He said, what are we going to do then? I said, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to be standing. Never mind what we're going to do. He said, well, I've been told you've got to be on the pitch, so you'll have to go on the wing. So there's some poor guy on the I don't know who it was, some Argentinian bloke. They just said, sorry, mate, you're out. You've got this fella coming on. So <laughs> on the wing. And they were like, it's a much easier place to play. And, and it was. But yeah, all week, That's... the night before the game, um, Peter Stringer who's now a good friend from, from meeting him there um, we'd, had, we'd, had, we'd all had our, our evening meal and he was like right lads get your heads down and carry us the game tomorrow I, and he just grabbed me and said do you want to come and watch a bit of video on my laptop just <laughs> to help you out I was like yeah 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 <laughs> we, got, we got into the hotel room and he was like right mate I'm going to give you a few keys here because you're going <laughs> to he'd been watching me just, just wander around the rugby field for five days and he was You know enough he got his laptop out and he was showing me. This is a out This is where you're going to stand. I was like, okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> literally a, a crash course in where to stand. Um, oh, and then I man. it was, it was bizarre. That's
0: brilliant. Did you enjoy it though?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely loved it. We lost <laughs> 50 points to five. But- no,
0: nah, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Because you scored to make it 11 or something. So It was like 70-11 or something like that.
1: Oh, that one it more. Oh, it might have been 50 points five when I scored,
0: yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, okay. Just against Australia, no problem. That's Wickham, was it, yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was actually. The best mm. bit of it, my Mates came from Wigan, and um, Nike had kindly given him a box at the game. And uh, after the game, one of them formed, me like, oh, imagine mad was that. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just glad I scored at the end. They went oh, did you score? I was like, <laughs> what were you we doing? They were like, oh, nah, it was getting boring. We got off and caught the train back. So one, <laughs> all mission, traveled down from Wigan. They didn't even stay to the end. Oh, so, that's
0: brilliant. Yeah, that's so brilliant. So it's fair to say then that you never, you never considered switching codes because I saw people who came up around the same sort of time as you, like a Kyle Eastman, you know, yeah. similar positions. Like, he made the change. Did you never consider that then?
1: Yeah, I did actually. I very nearly, nearly went um, at the, the, start of 2011, so sort of 10 months before the Barbarians game um, I had a meeting with Saracens um, and they, they were keen to sign me and during my negotiations they said, "Oh, look, your brother's at Wigan as well, do you think he'd be keen? So I spoke to my brother and said well, would you want to? So oh, I'll have the meeting and we ended up agreeing we'd both go to Saracens and um, the Wigan owner, Ian Lenigan, um He's quite a shrewd businessman," said. "Okay, well, there's a there's a, there's a buyout fee. You have to buy, be bought out your contracts," and he put my fee at three times the amount. Was Joel's was? Right. Harrison has just said, "You know what? We'll just take your brother." Right. Okay. He went to Harrison and Joel went and played. It. Joel went down to live in St Albans, played there for three years, and Wigan instead instead said, "Look, we want you to stay. We'll give you a five-year deal, um, a new contract." Um, so that was the that was the closest I got.
0: Would you would you agree in saying that union is a bigger sport in the UK?
1: Yeah, 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 much bigger.
0: All right. Well, firstly, then, which do you think is actually a better watch? Um, rugby league. Yeah, but so why why isn't the audience bigger then?
1: Um, I think it's just where it's based. You know, it's it's the M62 corridor rugby league, and and it's yeah. played a different set of people that grow up playing rugby union. Um. Mm-hmm. Down south, it's all rugby union. You know that's where all the big sponsors are. That's where, you know, the, the crowds are generated through, you know, massive, you know, TV deals and things. And international rugby union is brilliant, but you get a lot of a lot of poor um, club games. But you know the, the international game is so big that mm-hmm. it fans throughout the year, and I think that's the the main difference is basically just where it is where it is played. Yeah. Um do you think
0: rugby league will ever catch up or is it just the case of it's just going to be two separate things altogether
1: I think it'll always be separate and I think there'll always be that divide um I'm I'm amazed that you know I enjoy rugby union watching rugby union and and um I'm amazed that how many people are, are either 100% rugby league or 100% rugby union because there is similar yeah. sport really and um, yes. there's got to be things you can appreciate in both but there's always that divide and and you know I think there'll, there'll be there'll be people that will I'll always transfer code. People will go from league to union. Um, but, um, yeah, in terms of, I don't think they'll ever, they'll ever be on, on level with each other. I think if, if rugby league was to, to grow significantly, I think union would do at the, at the same pace.
0: Yeah. Do, do many people go from
1: union to league? Um, not many, not many at all. Um, why is that? Uh, I think it is just, a, it's a tougher transition. I think rugby league's more physically demanding, mm. uh, got to be you've got to be fitter in rugby league. So that sort of rules out the majority of any any rugby union forward. Because they're you know, they're built to be as big and as strong as they can. But being mobile isn't, you know, necessarily a, a huge yeah. thing for them whereas in rugby league you make your guys in the middle, they've got to be mobile. You know, you've got to be you've got to be covering, you know, probably six kilometers up and down on the field in the day in a game. So um I think that rules out any any forward and then in, in terms of the backs I think a lot of rugby union backs could do it but it just doesn't seem mm-hmm. to be the case they don't really don't really come over there's people that like if you look at um, Owen Farrell Owen Farrell could come to rugby league and be an absolute star I'm sure but what incentive is there you know yeah. you know he's such a such a big name in, in such a, a big club playing England, playing for England you know a hundred times you know you know there's not a huge incentive to come the other way either.
0: Yeah, I see that. So anyway, regardless, you didn't switch and you've carried on being a big part of the sport itself, not just in the UK, but globally as well. And with being that big star, do you ever play in a game and feel you've got a target on your back? Like, do you ever know going into a game someone's actually out to try and get you?
1: Yeah, when I was a bit younger, it was. I got it, um, yeah, I got it a lot. It's usually by older players who are, you know, late 20s, early 30s that are like, who's this 20-year-old? You know, sort of getting headlines and, and you do get some, and it just, you get some bitterness from older players. You know, not yeah. a lot, it, it definitely it definitely happens, but I think as I get a bit older now, you you only get targeted because, you know, I, I play a key position at fullback, but I don't think it's a personal thing, whereas when I was younger, it was certainly personal. It's 100%, yeah. You know, to
0: be fair, fair play to you all, because I don't know many people in my sport that could take a hit and get back up. You know, let alone like receive a kickoff and just just run into a wall of the opposition. Because most of the people I play with, like they struggle to get up. You know, if they stub their toe and things like that. Not saying everybody's soft, but we're built a bit different. You know, we're a bit more a bit more fragile, you could say.
1: Probably from just years of it. I've got you know, like friends who don't play or family, and they're like, "That must have hurt." And I think, well, like I've been playing since I was six years old, so you probably just get used to it. You know, you and it just. Oh was- man! I
0: don't. Know. When I'm seeing the forwards like just charge each other and someone's neck just whips back, there's no sound like the sound of two men just colliding on a field.
1: (laughs) I've been playing for I don't know how many years, and every if two middles hit, well, I'm just like that at the back net. Not for me. (laughs) Forwards, like had some bad hits, but nothing like you know two blokes 120 kilos run as fast as they can into each other with no padding. It's it is
0: we are stupid yeah that's insane that's insane who would you say the toughest player is you play, you've come
1: up against toughest I've played against um, that's tough because obviously you know there's different reasons for being tough I'd say Adrian Morley yeah um, was, was he at
0: Warrington or am I thinking of someone else
1: yeah yeah, he was at Warrington he um, he was at Leeds as a youngster went over to Sydney Roosters played at Sydney and then came back to Warrington he's a Salford lad Um yeah. He's very, very tough bloke, and you you sort of when you, you play against people or watch people, you you sort of you pick who you think is, is tough. But once you once you play alongside somebody, I think is when you get a true um, sort of a true burn on if someone's tough. Because there's times in a rugby league game where you can hide a little bit, yeah, you know, pinned on your own try line, and they've got 13 blokes stood in front of you, ready to absolutely, you know. Destroy you. There's not. A, there's not every player that will say, "I'll take the ball this time." Um, Adrian Morley was one of those, and um, I've I, I looked up to Moz for years playing as a kid. You know, like we'd be at school. Like, nah, I'm Adrian Morley today, and you'd be, you know. And then I was playing with him, and yeah, I'd said, "Say Moz is tough," and probably current, the most, the toughest current player, probably James Roby at St. Helens. the nine.
0: Yeah. So anyway, you did so well in those early years that in the end, New Zealand Warriors decided to try and break the bank to bring you over to the NRL. How did you first feel about the concept, the thought of going over there when you first heard about it?
1: Um, well, I instigated it.
0: Oh, did you? Ah, I, okay. okay. Uh, Why was that?
1: Well, when I, I spoke to you about it, I was considering going to Saracens, uh-huh. um, and then that got sort of pulled, under, pulled from underneath me. I'd sort of got my head around having a change. And, and Wigan's a very intense rugby league town. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm not, we're not footballers, You know we're not David Beckham. But yeah. Wigan, if you're a rugby league player and you're playing for Wigan and you're walking in Wigan Town Centre with your friends or you're at supermarket, you're going to get stopped. And yeah good and bad and, and you yeah. can't get it from it. And I think I'd, I'd sort of considered going down you know, living in St Albans, beautiful place and playing with you and doing something different and that through the process of nearly going to Saracens, I'd sort of got my head into that. And then happened, Wigan said, look, we'll sign we'll give you a five year deal and we'll we'll give you good money and I was like, Yeah, you know what, I'll do it. Six months down the line I was like, I shouldn't have done this. Yeah. Uh, so I decided at that point I'd only done I'd done one year and a five year contract. And I said I went into the Owner and said, "Look, I know this is a you're not wanna, gonna want to hear this, but I, I want to leave." He was like, "You can imagine going into an owner one year into a mm-hmm. five year deal, he would lost the plot, he just he went crazy." And yeah. I said, "Look, I'm giving you 12 months' notice. Like, I, I want to play this year at Wigan. I want to do another season, but the end of 2013, um, I wanna I want to leave. I want to go and, and do something else." Um, and I want to go to I want to go to the NRL and, and go and play in, in Australia. So um, I, my agent got on the phone and over over the next few months by sort of this was this was December time and by sort of April May it was done and dusted. I've i agreed to go to New Zealand Warriors for three years.
0: Okay. And when you got over there, how did you find the league?
1: Yeah, it's very very tough it's a tough competition the, the difference between the NRL and, and Super League is in Super League we have you know we've got 12 teams there's probably only ever 6 that are very very good teams and you've always yeah. when you're at one of the top clubs I was at Wigan there'd be weeks where you go look we're playing against Hulking some Rovers who we're going to beat and you'd rest players and, and you know that was that's what you can do in Super League uh, not so much now but you could a lot more then and in the NRL, every single game <clears throat> is very competitive. Mm-hmm. Every week's a big game. And, and I'd, gone from, I'd gone from playing at Wigan, at the top of the league. We just when I left 2013, we won the Challenge Cup and the Grand Final. Back off we were, the, we were the best team in the comp by a mile. And I'd gone to sign for New Zealand Warriors that were a team that had finished 10th and 11th. Um, right. In the NRL, you get teams that finish bottom and the next year finish top. You know, so I knew yeah. that wasn't an issue. Um, but um, so when I went I realised straight away that it's a very, very tough competition.
0: Yeah. And how did you find the new lifestyle?
1: Um I loved living in New Zealand. I lived in Auckland and it's uh, it's amazing. Wanted to go back every year since I left on holiday, right. but my wife keeps getting pregnant. So
0: <laughs> she keeps getting pregnant, it's got nothing to do with you now.
1: Not my choice. <laughs> yeah. But the, uh, yeah, so it's it's a it's a brilliant city, and and the you know, once you, once I got there, I really, I, you know, I, I'd only ever lived in, in one place, and mm-hmm. I was used to Wigan life, and when I went to New Zealand, it was like it was so different, um, and yeah. different culture, different people, different environment, different atmosphere everywhere you go, and um, and yeah, I, I loved it, and I think going to New Zealand was was you know knowing what it was like being away. Was my main factor for ending up in France eventually. So, so why did you
0: actually leave then to come back to Europe?
1: Um, well, in in the Super League, we've got the we've got the salary cap, so all you play, you know, your top twenty five together have to earn under two million quid. Um, and the NRL, the salary caps about double. So <clears throat> when I went to New Zealand, Warriors, I, you know, I nearly doubled my salary for doing the same thing, um, and when when my second year in New Zealand, uh, my wife got pregnant. Well, my girlfriend then, wife now. She got pregnant, and um, it's a long way from home. And yeah. I just sort of started thinking, you know, could I, would we want to go back? while we have the baby and and think, and it was just it, that, that put a little bit of a, an idea in my head. And at the same time, the RFL changed the rule. Um, they brought in what's called the marquee player rule, where you can you can pay one player. Um, Whatever you want, and it doesn't count on the salary cap. Mm-hmm. So those two things coinciding, because I, I wouldn't have come if it wasn't for the marquee rule. I wouldn't be able to come back. You know, I wouldn't have halved my salary just to, yeah, Wigan. Um, but yeah. my wife was pregnant. Um, I've my older brother had young children at the time. Um, it was you know, I wanted to be around my family, and, and and my wife's got you know her sisters with with young kids were like you know, how good would it be all the kids growing up together? and Yeah. At a rule came in where financially it'd be be a good move for us as well Um, which was then the deciding factor
0: so you went back to Wigan didn't you yeah so when you went back did you feel under more pressure to perform then or before you left based on who you were
1: Um, probably before I left because before I left um, you know I was really at the peak of uh, playing really well I was I was, um, you know, I w- I'd say before I left, Wigan Wigan had better players when I came back than when I left. Yeah, um, okay. Team, so I think there was there was more was more of that. Plus, when when I I actually my last year in New Zealand, um, I snapped a ligament in the knee, and right. operated on because I knew I was leaving, so I wanted to keep playing. Mm. So, um I played I played the second half of my of my of my last season there with a, a knee that was. You know, not fit for playing, uh, not fit for playing on. So when I got to Wigan, they scanned me and said you need it operated on. So I got operated on and missed the start of the season. So I think that also gave me a bit of a um, bit of a softer way into the team because people were like, "Look, you've been injured for six months. You know, I was never going to come in and be and be flying from day one." So um, that sort of gave me a little bit of leeway as well.
0: So was that your first significant injury? Yeah. So how did you cope with being off the field for so long then?
1: it was difficult it was difficult um, at the time you know coming back to Wigan and and they made a you know they made a big deal about me moving back and I really appreciate the club for everything they did for me coming back but it was almost like an anti-climax you know they came back and was like you have your picture in the new kit for the season but you had to photoshop someone else's legs onto mine not just because (laughs) because they had a whose um, legs did they pick? (laughs) uh, well they must have been bigger than mine so I was happy wherever it was (laughs) So, you know, I was just in the knee brace and it was just like, it was like a real anti-climax um, and it took a while for me then to get, to get back into it. So it was just so frustrating watching watching people playing and, and not being able to get on. And it was my first thing. I've been very lucky with injuries. I've had that and, I, and I've broken my foot. They're the only two injuries I've ever, I've ever had. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's a tough time, as you'd know, for anyone. If, you, if you're off the field when you, for a reason, you know, an injury, you sort of, you're angry at. I was angry at my knee. <laughs> you know, like, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I see that.
1: I that. Like, yeah, so it's it's difficult.
0: Um, when would you say your best season was?
1: Uh, best season, probably two thousand two thousand eleven or two thousand twelve. Um, Why? And I think just things fall in place. You know, my position at fullback you, you know, I'm I'm pretty dependent on people in front of me. You know, you can do certain okay. things on your own, you can come up with good players, but if you've got, like, a really good forward plaque playing well, or you've got a really good halfback that can give you the ball at the exact right time, you can make anyone look good. Mm-hmm. So, you've got a bit of talent timed with that, um, I, think it's, I think that's what it was. Um, I won the Man of Steel in 2013, um, the, you know, the player of the competition, but in 2012, I'd actually played better, but it's at the time, it was a popularity contest because it was voted for by the players. Right, okay. Yeah. No, it changed the system, but at the time, like I got nominated for it each year, never won it, but it was because there were some teams, out of, so every player in the league gets three votes, and there was teams that out of 30 players, I didn't get one vote. But right. Team, some teams didn't like me, but then some yeah. teams, I'd get every player in the team voted me at number one. So it was a popularity contest. So there's been some some winners that probably weren't as deserving as others at some times, but that's not the system anymore.
0: So why don't people like you then? Is it because of your player or just because of how annoying you are as a person?
1: Uh, uh, probably how annoying I am as a player, combination but... <laughs> Right, okay. Yeah, so now uh, anyway, you fight. Go on. I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm very competitive and I've played on the edge. And, you know, I've done a few things that are silly that I'd obviously... Um, pay a few people off so
0: <laughs> right okay I can't believe it but anyway now you find yourself in Catalonia so what would you say has changed the most about the game from when you first started compared to this moment now
1: um, It's probably the, the detail in, in defence so when, when I started everyone was focused on attack how do you attack how do you score tries you know, how do you leave the ball at the, the right end of the field well no yeah. it's such a defensive game um, you know, it's much harder to break teams down, and when you get a team that plays really and defends really well, that you know that's a it's a huge, a huge bonus for for a team that's confident to defend online for a long time. Um, which I don't think you didn't get as much. Um, but when I first started, it was all about you know fancy plays and yeah. big passes over the top and fancy kicks. Where well, now it's it's about doing the tougher stuff that will break a defense down.
0: What's the best thing about being a pro in your sport?
1: Um, for me, it's it's just doing something that I love. Um, you know, the same as I think any anyone who does a job that they that they love. The old cliche, you know, do something you love, you never work a day in your life. Um, yeah, I understand the position I'm in, and you know, I've I've been very lucky with with the timing of my career, uh, which means I've been able to do it for for this long and and do something I love doing, and you know, it's giving me opportunities outside of rugby. Um, that'll, that'll last me a lifetime. So I think it's as cliche as it is. Yeah, it's it's just doing what I love.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's very cliche. That's a very st- set answer. I expected oh. more, but it's fine. It's fine. You can be more honest in this section. What's the worst thing about being a, a pro then?
1: Um, training. Pretty much hate that every day. No. <laughs> uh, probably it's probably the, the stuff you miss out on. Yeah. Uh, it sounds it sounds daft, but like lads holidays, you don't get to go on holidays with your mates when you're in your early twenties or you're missing weddings, birthdays, christenings, funerals, you know, I've missed you know some over the years that I think, you know what, I probably should have somehow got to that. But when you're in a you know, you're in your your own little bubble of rugby league team you think, you know, nothing else matters, I'm doing this so you don't turn up to things and you're getting yourself prepared for a game at a weekend and then when I look back now I think, I probably should have Probably should have gone to that, and probably missed out yeah. on a few things. And it's being being selfish, probably. Yeah. You, have, you have to be a little bit selfish, and and you know there's, there's no way around that. If you wanna if you wanna be as good as you can be, you've you've, you've got to be quite selfish at times, and it's it can be tough on tough on your family.
0: Yeah, I I think something that you probably won't say yourself, but I think overall the amount of money that's involved in your sport for the absolute wreckage that happens to your body on a day to day, week to week basis, that you definitely deserve a lot more. Trust me. Definitely deserve a lot more.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's as I say, once you hear that sound of two two centres whatever just clashing with each other. No, 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 no. Absolutely not.
1: The big problems is with with young kids, young kids get preyed on in with the league. You know, if you grow up in St Helens, you know, the club know all he wants to do is play for St Helens. So when you're twenty years old they say, Oh look, sign a five year deal, you'll you know, you'll be in you'll be a poster in everyone's living room. Yeah. With- and, and they get them for, you know, criminal money. You know, as you get a yeah. bit older, if you've, you know, if you've got good people around you, can earn, you can earn good money. But there's a lot of young kids that are exploited in this sport, and it it isn't fair.
0: Yeah. So you've definitely made some money in your time anyway. Um, but I want to know, like, have you blown it on Rolexes and, like, Rolls Royces, like people in my sport, or you're a little bit more savvy?
1: Um, I've spent too much on watches, agreed. Okay. But, <laughs> Not um not on a footballer level, certainly not that. Um but no I've got a few things that I do outside of um outside of rugby. I've got um I've got a plumbing a plumbing company in England that I set up with a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he runs, so I've invested a bit in that and I've invested in, in property. Um in a few places. So that's that's you know, my, my passion outside of rugby league is, is property and, and developing yeah. which I've I've just finished a project in France, a twelve month project which was that's taught me a lot trying to speak to somebody in different language on, on, on property development. Um, so, yeah, I've probably spent a lot. I've invested a lot, but yeah, I've, I've certainly had. I went, uh, when I was in New Zealand, went to a porch carriage and bought a really silly car, about 600 pounds. I spent ninety five thousand pounds on it. 9-11 and then i was like i knew i was going back to england and like three months later he so was like what am i gonna do with this <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: you've you, so you've been quite savvy that was a bit of a loaded question because i spoke to neil trying to get some dirt on you just um just about your life and or whatever and he didn't really give much up that we could talk about on the air but he was saying it's like you've been quite savvy slash tight for the majority of your professional career so credit to you for that anyway
1: that is ironic. You know, talking about someone being tight.
0: Yeah, well, listen. <laughs> now you're talking, eh? Now you're talking. Here's a big question for you. Yeah? Like, you need to be see how honest you can be with this. Do you think you've lived up to your potential? Yeah. You think you have? Yeah. So you don't think you could have been any better? You and you think you could have been way worse? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think I've I probably exhausted the talent I had by sort of working really hard when I was younger. Okay. Um, I think I know, I know I worked hard and I know I worked harder than a lot of people around me so I don't think um, I think one of the reasons that I've, I've played for so long at such a high level is just because I'm competitive rather than talented so um, yeah I'd probably say I've exhausted it as a youngster probably when I went to New Zealand didn't play as well as I should have done and could have done um, which is a regret but I don't know the reason for it
0: I was going to ask you about regrets but you've kind of given one there so I'll just finish with this final question yeah um, this, I'll, I'll be interested to see what your take is on this. So, if you assume that everybody in your team knows how to play football and everyone in my team knows how to play rugby, if we had to do a full squad swap, which team would have a better season?
1: You. And why is that? Because have you seen a rugby league forward kick a football? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Weekend last week we'd had a we we had a, a bit of a longer turnaround and the coaches we went out on the field we just had like a flush session bit of skills and they split us up into four teams said we're going to have a football competition on the pitch so yeah. not, we made football nets and they split us up into the French lads the English lads the Aussies and Kiwis and then the rest the were. and it was we were actually saying, imagine if a football team watched this. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe that some, the amount of players that are, we, were playing a sport which we, you have to have a certain level of coordination. Yeah. I think you'd be able to get a ball between yourselves and it was just a comedy of errors. Like, couldn't play for laughing, it was horrendous. But <laughs> all, all the Frenchies here, they all think they're like, unbelievable yeah, that's all, brilliant. They're all Marseille fans. the huge Marseille fans around here. They're all, like, giving it... They, they're still arguing about it now. It was about a week ago. The English <laughs> fans... We were, we were terrible. <laughs> 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 Only, the, French kid, the French kids here, they're obsessed with football. They're all Marseille fans. and So I've I've become a Paris Saint-Germain fan since... Yeah, Iraq.
0: good lad. Good lad. I love that. I love that.
1: PSG, Kate and Urg, which they all hate. They're, they're, they all, they're all from around here, but they're all, like, avid Marseille fans. I'm like you're from Marseille the same as I am like, just big, like <laughs> you just been so passionate like because they all hate PSG I said right I'm, I'm a PSG fan though.
0: Yeah, I love that and I can't see why people wouldn't vote for you in the past anyway with that type of attitude eh
1: <laughs> yeah no idea don't know what it could
0: be <laughs> yeah, well, top man thank you very much for coming on the show man really appreciate you and all the very best for the rest of the season
1: thanks for having me cheers
0: pal hey top man top man thank you There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening. If any of my American friends want to see what Rugby League is all about, I believe you can watch games on Fox Sports, so why not give it a go and be sure to let me know what you think about it. But word of warning, it's not for the faint-hearted. But anyway, thanks to the number one producer in all the world, Mr. Ryan Hale. Thank you to my favorite Texan, media manager Skylar Warwick. And lastly, thanks to Mountaineer Studios' Draper, Utah, for this incredible space. Love to all those that made it this far. And be sure to stay safe and stay tuned. So there you go ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening. If any of my American friends want to see what rugby league is all about, I believe you can watch it. Ugh. Like this is episode 52 and I don't know how to read anymore.